Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Discipleship is what we're supposed to be doing with people. We worship God. We gather in a place like this. We, you know, I mean, we do the organizational thing so that we have a safe place to come and, and worship and, and be involved and, you know, walk out our dreams and fulfill our calls and all that kind of stuff. But um, what we're supposed to be doing is making disciples. And that is compelling you to actually want to follow Jesus, teaching you what it is and how to follow Jesus. But then especially in this youth group, all of it has to be done relationally. If you don't have a relationship with someone, they're not going to listen to you. You know, you, you might remember a little bit about what they've said, but by and large, it's those people that are closest to you. In fact, you guys probably heard this before, but it's not the people that you believe in or you care about the most that influence you the most. It's the people that you believe believe in you the most. Those people that you have respect for because you feel like they believe in you, those are the ones that have more influence over you than anyone. I don't care if it's some low-life loser, <laughs> but they encourage you. That person will have more influence over you. Someone that has never done anything ever in their entire lives, but they're nice to you, that person will have more influence over you. So, you know, it's not difficult to encourage people. It's not difficult to raise people up into a relationship following Christ. Some of you moms, some of you dads, who it's like, I'll never know chapter and verse in the Bible. I'll never be able to give a, you know, theological discourse where I follow the proper steps of exegesis and come to the proper doctrine and give them some nice little bow of theology. If you love people and you show them God's love, man, I'm telling you, they will listen. They will open their hearts to you, and you won't even realize how much impact you have on them. I think that's why God leads with love for us, you know? He, he, he reached out to us in kindness. He forgave the entire world in Christ. It's like God said, you know what? This thing is broken. I knew it was going to get this way. I already provided the solution. Now that Jesus is here... He removed the sin of the entire world. He just, he just blanket forgave everyone. You're forgiven. Because of Christ, everyone is forgiven. Now, if you want to have a relationship with me, if that's compelling enough for you, then receive my spirit through Christ, then you can be made righteous and have the gift of eternal life. I mean, that's it. That's it. And from there forward, his spirit living within you continues to lead and teach and guide you by his grace. And grace is a way of life more so than some doctrine. Now, grace is not a person. Grace is not a doctrine. Grace is not the whole of the new covenant. It's a way of life. Grace, if you look it up, pretty much any concordance, grace is unmerited favor and a divine influence on the heart. And you think about that. Because God favors you, he will constantly influence you. It's like, it's like a favor sandwich. He favors you, so he will influence you, and his favor goes before you. 
and he will lead you and guide you into his favor, into where he's gone before you, huh? And it tastes delicious. <laughs> you made a favor sandwich. <clears throat> Do y'all see pictures like that? I don't know. I'd see. It helps me think of stuff. You don't see get favor sandwiches. You don't see that one. Okay. <laughs> that's all right. He sees waffles. Oh, that's right. The waffles. I remember that. It's, it's, it's so much easier to represent Christ in this world. You know, we just, gosh, hadn't we focused on our physical lives too much? You know, we, we're worried about fulfilling our call or, or, or understanding how to explain things. Man, it, you don't have to know how to explain anything if you can love people. Because what love does is it makes people open their hearts. And when they open their hearts, the Holy Spirit is just standing there waiting. And he's the teacher. He's the comforter. He's the guide. It's not up to you to get this person to a particular place in Christ. He does that. He's the beginner. He's the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher, and the comforter through the process. You love and people will open their hearts, and the Holy Spirit goes from there. But, you know, unfortunately, the church doesn't trust God. You know, the church wants to play Holy Spirit. The organized church feels like the condition of your life when you stand before God is my responsibility somehow as a leader, so I better get you right. I got to get you right, which means I got to tell you how dirty and sinful you are. By the way, this is your sin, as if you didn't know. So you set people free in love, and God knows how to teach them. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit's a teacher? I mean, think about that. Does that make ministry a little easier? Does it make living a little easier? I can love. And because this person has an experience with love, it puts them in a position where love himself takes over. And it's not that he needs you to get to that person. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not like God can't get to that person. But so many people are closed off because they don't trust God. They don't trust that he loves him, loves them, that he's going to be kind to them. You know, somehow religion has convinced the organized church world that God's definition of good is different from our definition of good. It's like, yeah, he's good, but he'll allow all this stuff. Well, he has to allow everything you choose. God has to allow everything that mankind has introduced into this world because he's given it to us, this world. And that's really the answer for the condition of the world and people have a hard time with that. But it's in this environment of freedom that you get set free from religion. We go through this process of, oh man, what have I been doing in my Christianity my entire life? I've been working really hard. You ever felt like you've just been working too hard? You've just been working for that acceptance. You've been working it, from, a, from a sincere heart. You know, I want to please God. I want to fulfill my call. I want to walk. I want to glorify God. I want to do the stuff, you know. It's like, man... 
you get set free from the need of having to do that stuff, you'll do it more than you ever even intended in the first place. That's how the kingdom works. It's a fruit, not something that you attain. There's a reason, I believe, God put mankind in a garden from the beginning. It was so that every day they would wake up and the context of their life was everything is supplied and it grows and it serves me, mankind, and I can interact with it and I have dominion over it. I think God created this garden so that every day he would walk through that garden and realize, okay, what I need is provided to me, but there's this seed time and harvest process. So if I will just remain patient and not sit here and stare at the apple tree waiting for it to give me an apple, I know it's going to grow. I mean, do you ever just, you know, it's like you might want those tomatoes to grow a little quicker. I understand that. But you know they're going to grow, don't you? You put those things in the ground and you look forward to it, man. It's like, those, man, that tomato sandwich is going to be good. Who likes tomato sandwiches? A little pepper, a little salt, just the right mayonnaise. Oof. Maybe a little bacon. <laughs> what time is it? That, that's the kingdom. That, that is hope. You don't question whether or not that tomato is going to grow. It will grow. You will eat that thing eventually. And you don't doubt it. The kingdom is the exact same way. But they're promises and they're spiritual. And they're growing in your life right now. And the only reason we do not eat those fruits is worry, lust of other things, cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Chokes the word. Chokes the promise. You know, it's like going out there and putting a rubber band around the bottom of that stalk and it, can't, it doesn't grow. You, you constrict its growth. The kingdom is growing in this moment in your heart because Jesus is in there and all the fullness of God is in him and the kingdom of heaven is within you. Jesus said it. He said the kingdom doesn't come with outward observation. It's in you. It's in your mouth. Speak it. The promises have been given to you so that you would know what God has given to you is what it says. And the amen is spoken by us. You know, you go out there, you spray your deer stuff around those tomato plants, whatever it is, you water it. We do that with our words, our, our, what, we, what we think, our thoughts. That's the gardening process of experiencing kingdom fruit. You know, so Adam was conditioned every day to wake up and his physical world was that everything is provided. Today, I'll eat apples. Today, I'll eat broccoli or whatever, you know, whatever you liked. Maybe they had some kind of weird fruits that's extinct back then that we don't get to eat some extinct weird fruit in heaven. Hamburger fruit. Hamburger fruit. There you go. Chicken fruit. (laughs) That's freedom, you know. The freedom to just believe that God is your provider and experience that without you having to work for it, without you having to convince God to give it to you. You're in the middle of a spiritual garden and you wake up and you walk 
and your hope, your expectation, being fully convinced that God has promised you life and health and all provision and all abundance, even higher than you can imagine? That's, that, that is the way of grace. That's the lifestyle of grace, being influenced by God because he favors you. And that favor going before you, he shows you. You just follow him. You end up following him naturally without even really having to discern a direction. How many of you, since maybe you've kind of, and be, be honest, since you've maybe made a shift toward a kind of a grace mindset, you end up experiencing things a little less, a little more effortlessly than before. Did I confuse you in the question? Most, most of you. <clears throat> so this environment of freedom, I'm going to look at a couple of scriptures here. John 8, verse 31. We read this last week. This is Jesus speaking, and um, it, it's pretty straightforward. But he says, John 8, 31, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So he's talking about this idea of fellowship. He's talking about living in him, living in his ideas. We, you know, we talked about how the word, word, abiding in his word, is not just you get in the scripture and you read this text. He's talking about the life-giving aspect of what he represents. The word word is the word logos. The word logos is the character and the intention and the, the, the um, integrity behind what is spoken. So what Jesus showed us about the Father and how he treated people and the words that he did speak is what he's talking about. You abide in that. You abide in what I've shown you about God. Let that resonate. Because see, the disciples came back to him and they were freaking out about the storm on the sea. And he says, what are you doing? The reason you're afraid is because you didn't consider the miracle of the loaves. What he's saying is, I just fed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. You're worried about this little storm? You guys didn't think much about that miracle, did you? You, you, didn't, you? you didn't consider this last miracle that I did to the degree that it persuaded your heart that I am your provider. So that's the process of abiding in his word is that when we experience him, it affects us, it changes us. It's not like, okay, got that need met, check, thanks, Jesus. Now, can you do something about this one over here? By the way, there's a storm coming, you know. It's this lifestyle, it's this way of life. Protection is a kingdom fruit. Healing, provision are kingdom fruits. You walk through your garden and you see that tomato plant and you're hoping, you're, you're salivating thinking about that tomato sandwich. You have no doubt that thing will produce. That's where we should be with God's spiritual promises in his garden of the kingdom. Protection, provision, healing, whatever it is, they're there. They're growing. In this moment, right now, they're growing because that's what the kingdom does. It grows. It increases. It tends toward life. Will you let it grow? 
Let it grow. Let it grow. If you abide in me, my word, you are my disciples indeed. A disciple is someone who puts into practice the teachings of their master. Verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and that word know is to have intimacy with, to know from a first-hand perspective, knowledge of this word. The, the, the existing life-giving aspect of what Jesus has shown us about God, first-hand knowledge teaches you the truth, and the truth makes you free. So we're in this environment of freedom of engaging him from a heart, from the heart, and walking in this world expecting this spiritual kingdom to manifest in our lives. That's what Jesus talked about it over and over and over. And, we, you know, we've, because that sounds mystical or that's maybe denominationalism has just kind of rubbed out the, the interaction of the spirit part, you know, we've kind of reduced Christianity down to here's how to become a better citizen. You can manage your money better. You can treat your wife better. You can treat your kids better. You can vote for the right politicians. You know, it's like, really? That's Christianity? All this external stuff that we're going to get in order and be better people because of what we do? And, and left out this whole kingdom that is seeking to be that mustard seed that has been put in this world in Christ to take over. That's my expectation of the kingdom, that it will continue to increase and be more and more and more and more revealed. You know, that, that's my expectation. I don't, I don't care what happens outwardly. I don't care who does what in this world. My expectation is his kingdom will increase. Whatever that looks like for the future. Stuff bad happens, maybe even really bad. So what? Noah was protected. Jesus said, when you see these things coming, pray so that you will be protected. That's the promise. If there's an asteroid in the sky the size of Manhattan coming for our building, we can pray and we will be protected. I mean, if we're going to take him at his word, how far are we going to go with it? So we know that truth, we experience that truth, and it sets us free. Free from what? And I kind of ran through this list. I added to it this week. You're free from sin and bondage. You're free from death. You're free from the curse of the law or any curse. You're free from accusation. You're free from logic. You're free from a carnal mindset having to figure things out. You're free from the law for righteousness. You're free because God's Spirit is in you and where the Spirit of the Lord is. You are free for the sake of freedom. You can approach God freely. I like that Galatians 5 one. You're free. It's for freedom that he set you free. He set you free so that you would be free. I mean, he says, he says it twice. It is for freedom that he set you free. 
It isn't. So you can now have this voice in you that teaches you how to please me that I've set you free. It isn't so you can go do miracles and convince everybody of how spirit you are that he set you free. He set you free so that you would be free. Now be free and follow him and you turn around and you look back and oh my goodness, look at all that amazing stuff that's happening. Somebody's foot got healed. Somebody's back got healed. I have enough in my bank account where I could meet someone's financial need if I feel like God's leading me to do that. On every occasion, I can be generous. That's, that's kingdom. That's, that's the way of grace. That's God living a life because God favors you of constantly being influenced by his spirit and being led into that favor. There are responsibilities with freedom, though. Jesus paid the ultimate price for your freedom. Freedom isn't free. But see, the interesting thing about freedom is you don't really know how free you are until you start losing some of your freedoms. You start to get sick. Oh, wow. You know, I didn't realize how, how free I was in my health. You, go, you get some debt strapped onto your neck. Oh, wow, I didn't realize how free I was. This debt on me is killing me. You know, something happens in your relationships, whatever. We, we, we take for granted this freedom that we have. I mean, you know, something that I go back to a lot is, okay, if I'm having trouble connecting with God in any kind of way, let me just think about oxygen for a minute. I'm breathing. My heart is pumping. I'm not doing anything to make that thing work. There's an electrical engine in your heart that God has designed, and it is pumping, and you can't do anything about it. Sometimes, we, you know, I tell people that, I can't breathe. I mean, oh, man, will you ever run out of oxygen? You think this planet's ever going to run out of oxygen? You know, I'm, I'm going to call him out, uh, what's his name, Al Gore. <laughs> Ten years ago, his prophecy, his fear tactic was we would have no polar caps by now. But they're, they're more. It's thicker. There's more ice than there was. I'm not really trying to make a political statement. It's just about, you know, expect life. He also invented the internet. Huh? He also invented the internet. Did he? Yeah, I've heard that. So the responsibilities of freedom are this. When you, and I've done a study on this freedom thing. And you go and you look at all the stuff related to freedom. The expectations of once you've been set free are this. And they sound very similar to New Covenant commandments. Love God. Love people. And believe God unto obedience. Which is the manifestation of holiness. See, here's how something becomes holy. It goes through the process of sanctification so that it can be set apart which is what holiness means, and then it is made righteous or it is as it should be before the Father. It's a very simple process. Something, for something to be a cup, a table, a censer that they used in the temple had to go through the process of sanctification, being cleaned properly. Then it was set apart for the master's use, which is, it's holy now. I'm setting apart. It's dedicated for this use. It's holy. Then it was as it should be before the Father. That's us. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. And then he sets us apart. You are holy. And then he seals us with his spirit and gives us 
righteousness. What, do you, what part do you play in that? Except for, okay, yes, Jesus, thank you. And then the responsibility of freedom is don't forsake the freedom. Don't use your freedom as an occasion to the flesh, it says. Don't trample this salvation underfoot. Don't use this as an excuse for sin. Probably the biggest thing we've been set free from that affects this world is we've been set free from the power of sin. If you're struggling with sin, you don't realize how free you are. If you're struggling with sin, you don't realize that this way of grace is constantly influencing you to be more than an overcomer. I'm going to read this last scripture, and it's just really powerful to me. Romans 6, and we're going to start in 15. Romans 6, 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Is sin okay? No, certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Now he's going to clarify. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Even under sin, it was a heart thing. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So in other words, just like you obeyed from the heart and sinned, so now we should obey from the heart because we're righteous. And you're holy, but as you obey and yield to this righteousness, watch what happens. Having been set free, you became slaves of righteousness. See, you're not trying to be righteous. Righteousness is your master. Jesus is your master. You are in the power of righteousness because Jesus is in you. It's the power that works in you. You're not trying to become righteous. You're not trying to get righteous. It's been given to you in Christ, and it's a power that is working within you. Spiritually, you've been made holy because the Spirit of God dwells within you, and only a place of holiness is where God can be. So verse 19 Speak I in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. (laughs) He's like, you know, when you were sinful, you, you couldn't be righteous. You just did, you just were sinful. But verse 21, what fruit did you have then in the things which you are now ashamed for the end of those is death? But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. You've been given this righteousness. Our job is to yield to it, yield to this freedom that we have in Christ. Let that righteousness bear fruit in our lives and it It will change how you live. You can't yield to righteousness unless you know you're righteous. You will fight the power of righteousness in you if in your mind you believe that you are unworthy and unrighteous. Grace is a way of life. It's his influence continually on you. I'll just read this last verse. Let me say this. You're not truly free until you take responsibility of that freedom. 
in your mind and in your heart. You can be in a place of freedom. You can be enjoying freedom with nothing imposed upon you. But until you take responsibility to steward that freedom, to live in that freedom, you don't really understand how free you are. Does that make sense? Like until you realize, no, God wants good things for me. God wants blessing and not cursing, health and not death, provision and not lack for me. I'm going to make sure that in my heart and my mind, I am remaining in that hopeful expectation of this freedom that I've been given. Sin has no dominion over me. I'm free from sin. You know, until we walk in that awareness of our freedom, we may throw away our freedom. And this is what grace eventually does in our lives. It's, you're, it, you've been made righteous spiritually, and that, that righteousness is trying to work itself out in the rest of your mind and your heart in this life. And all that will change one day. There won't even be opportunity for sin. But Titus 2.11 for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Everybody's got the opportunity. Verse 12, Titus 2, 12. Teaching us that... Den- so grace teaches us, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope, waiting for that spiritual tomato sandwich. And glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Good works are taking care of the poor, taking care of widows, taking care of those in lack, supporting ministry. I mean, Paul goes into this big thing in Corinthians that good works are you provide so that ministry can go forth. Taking care of your kids, all all the stuff, you know, all these good works, but it's grace that compels this and produces this. Grace is a way of life. This is what I want to leave you with. Because you are favored, God is continually influencing you and your only expectation is love God, love people, and believe that he is who he says he is. And you watch, man. You will, you will just walk through this life experiencing the best he has for you. Amen. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your love.